Interested in energetics, intention, alignment, integrity, and ethics? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Sacred Leadership Podcast. This space is for you to gain inspiration, wisdom, and knowledge from exceptional leaders to support you in your leadership journey. I'm your host, Amber Gordon, trained therapist and intention and alignment coach here to ask all the deep questions to get the raw truths. Settle in, take a breath, set your intention for what you're open to receiving from this episode, because it is time to drop in. All right, friends, we have another episode of the Sacred Leadership Podcast coming at you hot today. I have Majette with me. I am actually really thrilled because my couple of interviews that I have been recording this week have all been beautiful, beautiful souls that I actually was able to connect with through a panel that I hosted at the Selfish Philly Conference. Um, We did a Community Matters panel. Um, Majette was on there. Jamie was on there, who I recorded with yesterday. And it was one of those things where I was like, I need more of this. I need more of these amazing people. How can we continue this conversation? And all of them very graciously agreed to come on the podcast. So let me tell you a little bit about Majette, because Majette Reyes is an immigrant, former paramedic, and now trauma therapist who gives unconditional positive regard to her clients who are mostly first responders, healthcare professionals, and people in the BIPOC community. Majette is the owner of Diva Girl Tribe, which is a lifestyle community that educates and empowers women by hosting conferences, workshops, and volunteer trips all around the world. Uh, recently, Nepal, Ghana, Belize, Peru, India. We're definitely going to chat about that. Majette also helps people find fulfillment through counseling, community, and consulting. She loves to ski, boogie board, read, and travel. She's a spicy one. Majette, thank you so much for taking the time out of your, I'm going to imagine, very busy schedule um, to have a conversation today and to share a little bit of your journey with all of us. So for the people who haven't met you yet, tell us a bit about kind of your background, how you got here. You've a little bit of an interesting uh, story that has influenced a lot of why you created the community you created. Yes. Well, Amber, thank you for allowing me to be part of your space today and to tell to talk about myself more. So thank you for that. Um, and so for me, my story, like what you said earlier, started in the Philippines. So from the Philippines, um, I grew up there um, and I came to the United States when I was 16. And when I came to the U.S., um, I was I wanted to pursue nursing. Right. And. um, Oh, okay. We didn't didn't get that little tidbit on the panel. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So so. When I was 16, you know, I, I went to um, a suburban school. And then after that, my parents and I moved to Philadelphia because my parents got a house because we used to live with a family, uh, my dad's sister, because we're immigrants and we didn't have a place to stay of our own. So we stayed with family. So I um, I went to school in Cheltenham High School. It's a suburb of Philadelphia. And then after that, um, when my parents got a house in Philly, um, I had to go to a Philadelphia high school. So, so I went from uh, high school in the suburbs where I was eating lunch by myself in the library, right? Because um, I didn't know anybody to um, mm-hmm. going to a high school in Philadelphia and having to go under the table in the lunchroom because there were food fights. <laughs> right. Um, 
from a nice quiet library to like taking shelter during a yeah, lunch time. So it's, it's like two extreme high schools that gave me a lot of like, you know, experiences, diff- two different experiences. Um, and, you know, and it made me who I am. Um, and so, so going back to wanting to be a nurse, like, um, so as a Filipino immigrant, um, most Filipinos go into nursing or in a medical field or become an accountant or an engineer. And, and for me, I'm like, I've, I've always wanted to be in the medical field. Um, none of my family members were actually in the medical field or even my, um, my aunts or uncles. A lot of them are accountants, um, but my dad was an artist mm-hmm. and my mom was a teacher. And I don't know exactly where it came from, but maybe from the talks of like, oh, you should be a doctor when you grow up, right? So I, that, that being in the medical field was stuck in my brain. So anyways, and then... I'm telling you this part of my life because as I was pursuing nursing um, at CCP, Community College of Philadelphia, because, you know, like um, I, I wasn't sure and I had no guidance on how to get into college. So they said in my high school, in the Philadelphia high school, you should go to CCP, right? And, and you know, and, and pursue a higher education there. So I went there and I was trying to get into nursing programs. Um, 9-11 happened. So when 9-11 happened, I saw, you know, the, everybody saw the burning buildings and people running away, right? And there were people going inside. And, uh, and, and I was like, oh, my God, like, you know, like, um, I want to be one of those people, right? Um, and I'm like, who are those people? Obviously, there were the firefighters, the cops, and then there was another group of people that I wasn't familiar with at that time. I was like, I didn't want to be a cop. I definitely don't want to be a firefighter, but there are the EMTs, the paramedics. So I was like, I need to find out more about that. So I looked into the phone book. At that time, the internet was not that popular yet. And I probably didn't know how to use the internet at that time. But anyways, um, I look at the phone book and I look for paramedic schools. And that's how I became a paramedic. Um, you know, like, okay, so being a paramedic is still in the medical field, but you wear a uniform and, you know, and you get called when there's an emergency, you know, when people are afraid, running away, you're the brave one, right, that go in there and save people. So that was appealing to me. And because of 9-11, I felt like, okay, I want to give back to this country that, you know, I moved to, right, that I'm trying to assimilate in. Right. Um, and, and to be accepted and belong and all that stuff. But I, you know, like, like reflecting on it now as I got older, that's what I was looking for. Right. During that time. So anyway, so I became a paramedic. And then as I thought I was going to retire as a paramedic. Right. Wow. Okay. So you were like in it at this point. Like you're like this. I love this. This is going to be my lifeblood. Like absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I I I breathe it. I bleed it. I eat. Like I was just like all about it, right? Um. And you know, and when I was working as a paramedic, and you know, like um, I was working with a lot of men because it's a very male dominated field. Um. And you know, and yep. and I was trying to be just like one of them, right? And you know. And I was, one of the guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess, you know, you, you got to keep up. You got to keep up. Um, so, you know, I met some good people. I met some not so good people. I've learned so, some good things and I've learned some really bad things as well. Um, so, but during that time working as a paramedic, I was actually assaulted 
by my coworkers at that time. So that was when my world fell apart. And then as yeah. my world was falling apart, I was still working though. I was still working as a paramedic. I wow. was working harder. I was working out harder. Right? I was in the best shape of my life. And I was also partying harder. Right? So, so a lot of escaping, a lot of numbing. 100%. Yeah. And, you know, and, you know, like after that, trauma right that's a very significant event that happened that being assaulted and I was just like you know like I didn't know like how to deal with that on and what I was doing at that time was you know um running away from it right suppressing it um through alcohol through partying through working out and through working a lot so on the outside we're looking mm-hmm. at me as you know like um she's a good citizen Right. Yeah. And that's also, you know, one of the things in that field where like you can literally work for days and days and days and days because you sleep at the station. So like you can basically, if you want to be working technically 24 seven and nobody's going to say anything about it. You're a hardworking individual. Right. So, so yeah. And then, you know, and, and, but that what's happening to me was I was angry. Right. And that was, you know, coming out, I was angry. I was like triggered here, triggered there. I was angry, but that's accepted, right? You're angry and that's accepted to a lot of people. Um, and, uh, and I was living like that for a long time, for about 10 years. I was like that. Wow. 10, 10 years. 10 years. And, um, 10 years. and there were those wow. moments where in, I was like, I'm so tired because I wasn't sleeping. I was working real hard. I was partying real hard, right? So it's like there's no time to sleep. But then my body was getting so tired. And at one point, after a shift, I was like, I just want to go to sleep. I was so tired. And not thinking that it was um, so warning, there's some suicidal ideation, not thinking that that's what I wanted, not planning that that's what I wanted. All I wanted was to sleep because I was so tired. So therefore, I took I, I smoked all my pot at that time and I drank all the vodka like this one bottle of vodka and took sleeping pills thinking that I just want to sleep I'm so tired I just want to sleep you know and and so I did all that and then the next day I woke up right I don't remember what time I woke up obviously I'm here but yeah, right I, but realizing <laughs> that holy moly like holy guacamole like i that was not safe right and and that's when i realized um okay something has to change here right so and i remember going to you know going to barnes and noble and and looking you know ending ended up at like i know something was missing and i know it had to do something um because something happened the night before that you know that could have been bad, right? Could have had a very yes. different ending. Yeah. So I went to Barnes and Noble, devoured the self help section, right? So so I started trying to heal on my own, right? Devoured that, um, and you know, I started listening to um, Jim Rohn, like you know, like the self help gurus, right? So that kind of like the start of some, not necessarily healing, but like something right? Self-help. So I started devouring that. Still didn't go to therapy, right? 
I still didn't do like the healing that I needed because that's something that is frowned upon, asking for help. For most first responders, we go out and help people, but we don't ask for help, especially when it comes to feeling sad, Mm -hmm. right? Or feeling like you can't cope, right? Or feeling that you, Mm -hmm. you know, like um, being vulnerable. And so, so therefore, you know, I tried to do it on my own. Um, I, I was learning. However, I wasn't really healing, right? So... Fast forward, right? So we're going into the 10 years now. So 10 years, 10 years, my daughter was born. So I got pregnant. I met someone and, you know, we fell in love. We, we had a daughter. And, and that's when I realized that all I want for this child is to be happy. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I can't mm-hmm. ask a child, it's a grown up, right? We can ask anybody. I just want you to be happy, be happy, right? Especially a child. And I'm like, okay, well, I need to work on me, right? That was the start of my healing journey. And that was when I realized, okay, like I need to, to again, do something, right? And I was like, okay, well, I have to stop working as a paramedic. I knew that. That was loud and clear, I need to stop doing this. This is just, I mean, I was hitting the glass ceiling. I was not feeling fulfilled. And now I have a daughter, right, who I would like to grow up, you know, happier than where I am. Um, And therefore, I started to make a plan of like, you know what? I need to change careers. And I thought that, okay, well, I will be a nurse. Go back to my previous plan. Right, Right, yeah. Still stay in the medical right. field, yeah. And then, um, or become a PA, physician assistant. So a lot of medics go into that, um, or, or an ER doc. So those are the three things that I was looking at. So I applied to nursing school, applied to PA schools, rejected, rejected, rejected. Like, all right, cool, right? And then I got to my knees and I'm like, God, right? And you know, I'm not religious, but I believe in a higher power. And I'm like, you know what? you tell me what you want me to do, right? You, you know, like you tell me how you want me to serve, right? Because I know for sure I don't want to do this anymore, right? So mm-hmm. a few days yeah. later, or maybe a few weeks, I don't remember, but I got a postcard from, um, from um, it, it's Jefferson University now, but before it was Philadelphia University. That's where I got, um, that's where I went for undergrad. Um, I got a postcard saying that, okay, there's a new program called Community and Trauma Counseling. Would you like to attend the open house? I'm like, all right, let me go check it out, right? And I'm like, trauma, community. I'm like, okay, trauma, because, you know, I was like such a medic at that time. I'm like, oh, well, that's nothing. That's something that I dealt with for like 10 years, right? Yeah, bring it on. (laughs) I went to the school and, you know, I listened to the professors. I listened to um, the some of the students there. And I was like, you know what? It felt good to be there. Like, it felt good to be there. And it felt like this is where I'm supposed to be, right? So I spoke to them. I applied. Everything just went smoothly. You know, from being rejected, so many resistance, so many hurdles, to, like, so much ease, what a beautiful right? direction. So, so it's like, um, okay, well, this is where I'm supposed to be. And uh, I, you know, I did the program. I was enjoying myself. I was learning a lot. And I was learning more about, like, my own traumas 
uh, traumas from isn't that the fun thing that nobody tells you about school, going to school to be a therapist? Like your first client is yourself. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> that is so true. That is so true. You are your first by yourself. And that's when, you know, that's when I called a therapist. That was when I called a therapist and took seriously and took my healing seriously. And, you know, and, and mm-hmm. that was the start of really my healing process. And that is my story on how I became a trauma therapist now seven years later now you know i work with mostly first responders entrepreneurs creatives um and recently to be honest um since 2020 um like half of my clients are people of color and that wasn't very common right back then you know like me i'm a person of color therefore like you know that's something that i refuse to do right being a person of color Mm -hmm. and also a first responder that's like a big no-no right in those two communities that i belong to right so like fast forward to 2020 to see more people of color to see more first responders right coming to me and actually asking for help you know and and join them in their journey of healing is actually a beautiful thing so yeah. Yeah. And it's really interesting to me that that was the thing that came through for you to highlight on your journey, because that's not a conversation that we've had yet on this podcast. And a lot of people don't know because they don't really talk about it um, often because it's something in my past. But for uh, five years, um, I was in a relationship with a first responder. He was a volunteer firefighter. He was um, an EMT. And you know, all of his friends were EMTs, paramedics, volunteer firefighters. And I became so immersed in that community, right? Because it really is like a family. And all of them were struggling with addiction, uh, depression, anxiety. They were having so many issues in their relationships. Um, they were not able to have fulfilling relationships. There was, you know, a lot of breakdown in terms of like just basic communication um, and also like the work schedules and them very much like shutting down or using like drugs or alcohol, like as their coping um, mechanisms. And it was really amazing to me that these people who were our, our first responders, like for, when we say first responder, we use that word, but it's first responder. It is the first person on a scene who is going to be able to do something to help you. That is a huge responsibility. And when you are the first person there, you're going to see exactly what is going on, what is unfolding. It might not even be a safe situation at the time that you're walking into it. There is a lot of both big T and little chi trauma that happens to these first responders on a day-to-day basis. And it ends up getting normalized because otherwise, if you actually held it in the regard that you probably should as a human being, you wouldn't be able to handle it, right? So it's kind of embedded in the work that you're going to disassociate to a certain degree so that you can show up and you can do your job. You're going to normalize you know, being able to see these things or you're going to downgrade them in your mind in terms of like, oh, well, that's not that bad. Last week I saw this or like, you know, the other month I had a this and that's not as bad as this. You almost have to play this game of survival. And it's really interesting because people are actively choosing because it's their job to put themselves in these extreme situations where they're constantly in fight or flight. They're not getting good sleep. That's like the other thing, you know, they're on 24 seven. So 
They're sleeping on couches at a station. It's interrupted sleep. They always have like kind of like one ear open, one eye open to listen for the radio. Um, They're away from their families. They're away from their support systems. And then they have this culture a lot of times of just like, we're not going to talk about it. We're not going to dwell on it because we have the next call to worry about. And I saw how this affected my, you know, my boyfriend at the time, his friends, And I also knew that my boyfriend at the time when he was 14, um, his dad had um, died very suddenly of a heart attack in his sleep. And my boyfriend was the one, like his mom was screaming. He went in at 14 years old and did CPR on his father who was passed at that point in time, came, you know, the EMTs came and all that kind of stuff. And that's actually the moment that he says he decided that he wanted to be a first responder. But it's really interesting because... I realized that that just primed him to be able to have a higher threshold for trauma. And that manifested later on in his life with, you know, certain issues with like addiction and, um, you know, risk-taking behaviors, like higher, you know, threshold for like dopamine-seeking behaviors, things like that. And um, and it was one of those things where I'm like, where is the help for these people? Like, where, <laughs> where is the help? For the- yes, there were like schism teams that were like brought in here and there, like if there was like a really big event, but it wasn't this like ongoing culture of support and being able to have processing and work through things and have, you know, someone to talk to. And I'm thinking now like how useful it would have been if they had known that there was a therapist, right, that would have understood the culture of that job and specifically been able to work with them and understand what that actually means so that they would feel safe. Because I think a lot of therapists, and like I'm speaking from my own experience, cannot even imagine what it's like to work in that environment. And then right there, you're working at a disadvantage with your client. Do we need to understand our clients completely? No, not completely. But this is where having therapists that are very specifically trained or have life experience in military or first responders or people in the BIPOC community, there's a lot of lived experience that goes into someone being able to relate to you that's going to help them to receive from you as a support system. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, it's like that compartmentalizing, right? It's, it's, I mean, we all do compartmentalize, but for first responders, it's something that they need to be able to do their jobs, right? There's no time, like what you said, there's no time to process things. Like you go into calls, right, with very little information of like, you know, like, you know, like a, a 25-year-old white female passed out. Right. That's all the information you get. And then when you get there, it's like, you know, it's like a whole different ball game. And it's like you you, you don't know. It's so uh un- unstable. It's so like unpredictable. Right. And and, you know, and you have to be able to to help. You have to be able to um to get into action mode, right? And to be able to help someone. And then after that, right? So so you go into the scene, you help. Right. You do the best that you can. You go to the hospital, you take them to the ER. And then after that, you do your notes and then you get another call. Right. Hey, there's another emergency that we need you to like. There's really no time mm-hmm. to process the emotions. Mm-hmm. So all the time, like, you know, rem- you, you know, this trauma is not the actual event. It's the feelings. Right. That you felt the emotion that you felt when that was happening. Right. So every time you go into work, you go to like what five to 10 calls or more. Right. 
all of this are like, you feel a certain way because you're human, right? Like first responders are humans. They go into situations, they feel a certain way, but then they have to suppress that, right? So that they can do their job. And then there's no break to process. There's no space, like a safe space, right? And that's where trauma happens when you don't have that repair part, that processing part to talk about the emotion that came up for you. Therefore, you're holding on to it in your body. Right. And then you're holding on to it, holding on to it. And then you go home. Right. And then now you're alone with all these emotions. Nobody could understand. Right. Nobody that you don't feel safe enough. Right. To be able to express. And you probably don't know how to express this emotion or even name it. Right. So you keep holding on to this. Right. And then, you know, and the easiest. Right. For all, for many of us. Right. For most of us, even though you're not a first responder, anger. Right. So we're angry. And then if we have a significant other, a family, they get the brunt of the anger. And then now the, the, the relationship in that household is in, in turmoil. Right. So it's like, okay, well, mm-hmm. now you have to figure out like what to do or I'm going to leave. Right. So then, you know, they they would think about, okay, maybe I need help. I'm going to go see a therapist because my my wife or my husband's going to leave me if I don't, you know, if I don't see a therapist. Now they even don't want to be in that space with a therapist. Right. Or even work. Work will tell them that, okay, well, you're angry at patients. A patient complained. Right. Now we're going to, you know, you're going to have to go see a therapist. Right. And that's like, what? I want to do that. Right? It's like there's so much resistance about expressing emotions, right? Because it, it can be really scary because for a lot of them, right, that's something that's not taught. For a lot of us, really. I grew up in a generation where in you, why are you crying, oh, right? Yeah. Like, you know, like even though I'm, you know, like people from most part of the world, right, we were taught to not express our emotions, right? So... Yeah. So yeah, so yeah. really the work, uh, my work is to really be, a, uh, to provide a safe space for first responders to to know and feel that, yeah, like how you're feeling is not wrong, right? The anger, the sadness, the confusion, right? Like um, it's not wrong and we don't need to shame that. Like let's talk about it and that's okay, like, you know, and for them to to feel seen, right? To feel heard mm-hmm. and to validate those feelings instead of being judged. Um, and to hear that from someone, I mean, they could definitely hear that. It could help them from a therapist who's, who was never a first responder, right? But but to hear that from somebody who... Yeah, it holds does. more weight. It absolutely does. It holds more weight because then the, well, you don't know what you're talking about or you don't know what it's like. That goes out the window and it because you actually do know what you're talking about. You do know what it's like and that holds weight. That holds value. That's where, you know, even, you know, speaking about the fact that you actively support the BIPOC community, it doesn't matter like how many books I read, how many classes I go to, how many workshops I go to, I am still going to be somebody whose lived experience is a white woman, right? And so there's going to be things where as much as I can say, share with me, please, you know, help me to understand it is that piece of you need to help me to understand. And that's not their job to help you understand. And that doesn't matter if we're talking to somebody who's coming from the background of a first responder or somebody in the BIPOC community, you can just walk in and automatically that threshold of just, oh, 
you get me, I know you get me. And then you can go right into the processing work, right into essentially knowing that it's a safe space versus you having to work to prove to them it's a safe space. And I feel like that is something that we don't talk about a lot in, you know, the therapy, the therapy world. And also when it comes to people being able to hold space for, you know, first responders, healthcare workers, other therapists, right? It doesn't matter if you have like the same job title, you still need to be able to know that who you're going to for support understands you, gets you, and you're not going to have to essentially bypass part of your lived experience because they don't understand what you're going yeah, through. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I definitely hear you. I definitely hear you on that. And it's like, um, however, though, like, um, like I, I I don't want to like diminish like the the um the space that therapists who are not I know you're not diminishing it, but it's like, you know, like um therapists is that's what makes us special, right? That therapists. Mm-hmm. We are trained yeah. to be able to hold space, right, to clients. Um and you know, and we're not we're very good at not giving advice, right? We're very good at like hopefully if you are an ethical therapist you are not giving advice that's what I tell people all the time people come to me and they're like my therapist told me and I'm like okay that's not therapy if your therapist is giving you advice they're not doing therapy they're doing coaching and that's not that's not therapy your therapist should be holding space for you helping you guide and come up with your own answers and conclusions but there is no way that that therapist should be telling you what to do yeah For anybody out there who thinks that that's therapy, I know. it's not. And it's like, you know, and then, um, you know, like, um, we're not their friends, right? We're not their friends. We're not their family. So therefore, you know, we're not projecting our stuff. And that's why we do our own work too. Like, you know, for, for therapists, like, you know, like we, we have to do our own work. So we're not projecting, you know, our own stuff into our clients and so that we can continue hold a, continue to hold a safe space for them. And, you know, and, and, and I feel like there are, a, there are a lot of bad therapists out there and there are also, you know, a lot of really good therapists where in, they can really provide mm-hmm. the space that you need. Like for first responders, like it doesn't have to be a first responder. Like this, and even for people of color, right? Like it doesn't have to be also a person of color, but for you to go into space to meet a therapist and you feel seen, like tap into that. And is, is this person seeing me? Right? Is this person hearing me out? Because we live in a world where, in you know, we're not being seen and heard, right? Like we always, you know, everybody has their own agenda. Everybody is so, um, you know, bombarded by their own stuff that it's 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 hard to find a space, right? It can be with our friends, right? We can't even find that in our friends. We can't even find that with our significant other or with our family, right? To, to be in this space wherein we are going to be heard and we will feel seen. And I think therapists, right, can provide that. And, you know, and, and for you to just mm-hmm. feel seen mm-hmm. and heard is so powerful that, uh, you know, like, and if, if a therapist can make you feel that way, then that par- therapist doesn't have to be a, a BIPOC, doesn't have to be a first responder. It helps, sure. But, you know, but... But I think that is also important to remind you, there's a shortage of therapists, right? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, and that's like ever, you know, ever since 2020, like, you know, the wait lists are are out of control. And I think that that's also where it's so important to empower people to also be able to speak up, right? Because especially if you are working with a therapist, chances are you're going to be working with a therapist who doesn't share your lived experience, which again, it's not necessary. But if you feel like that therapist is not understanding you or they're missing something that you're saying, or they, um, there's something about the way that they're approaching something that doesn't feel good for you. The point of therapy is that that is a safe space for you to go to that therapist and be like, Hey, last session, when you said this, that didn't land right with me. That didn't feel so good. Can you explain that to me more? Or can we revisit that? Or is there a different way that we could process that? Because I feel like, you know, you missed the mark a little bit. And like, I, I really don't feel like you heard me or you understood, or you saw me and that therapist again, if they are ethical and in their integrity, will have done enough of their own work that they're not going to get defensive. They're not going to be like, oh my gosh, well, I can't believe you didn't understand. It's like, okay, thank you so much for letting me know. I appreciate your feedback. Let's go back and revisit that. And that is the thing that I feel like, again, when I work with people who, I, I, you know, I always say, make sure that your coach has a coach. Make sure that your therapist has a therapist. Make sure that the people that are supporting you have support for themselves. I feel like it's the same thing with first responders, healthcare workers, right? These are people whose job is physical labor and emotional labor around supporting other people's human Mm -hmm. experience. And it's a lot. It's a lot. So who's taking care of you? And it is perfectly normal and natural and expected that you as a person who's providing support for other people would then need to be receiving support yourself. And when we used to live in community back in the day, everyone was supporting everybody. It wasn't like this weird thing where it's like, okay, you're the support person. And then like, nobody takes Mm -hmm. care of you. Like, like, why is that so bizarre for people to think about that? You know, even people who are doctors, nurses, right? To your point, there are a lot of things that those people go through day in and day out that like, they're not putting it anywhere. They're not processing it. Um, and in order for us to show up and take good care of each other, we need to be taking good care yeah, of ourselves. Yeah, but you, you said something there, right? For us to be able to seek help, right? And I think that's the hardest part. Right. Like where, where do you think that came from? Right. Like I I always like, I even ask myself that, why is it so hard for me to ask for help or reach out for help too? Right. Like it's, what's that all about? Right. Like, um, yeah. And it's like, and, and I think uh, this is a good segue about like what you're talking about, like having communities, right. Having like, you know, uh, a group of people, right. Like that you feel safe and you trust that can um, remind you that, hey, you know, sometimes it's hard to ask for help, especially if your role has always been somebody who's helping others, right? That a reminder that, hey, we are here for you. You can't do this alone. You you know, like um, there are other people, there are, you know, others who are willing to help, right? But we can't help you if you don't let us, right, the, the opportunity to be able to um, to allow, it's an opportunity for other people when we allow them to, to help us, right? Yeah. Right, yeah, because we're not supposed yeah. to do it alone. And I think that is something I think about a lot, just historically, how did we go from 
being very collaborative and community centered and like living in these systems where we were all kind of like taking care of each other in order to survive to this system where we all kind of like live in these little tiny boxes and we're all responsible for all the things and no one's allowed to like ask for help or, you know, it's weak to ask for help or there's something wrong with you or, you know, even in the medical field or, you know, as a first responder, like, oh, if you can't handle it, then like, you're like, something's wrong with you. Um, and no, like you're not supposed to be able to, you're supposed to get help. You're supposed to get support. And I think that that is where we start seeing, and I know that you started your community years ago, but I feel like I've started seeing this rise in, in-person community, people wanting to come together, whether it's for retreats or for volunteering or for workshops, or just even like, you know, online spaces, if they're not able to physically gather, um, with other people. But being able to start coming together so that you have that person be like, hey, you're you seeming a little like, oh, everything okay, right? And it makes it easier to reach out and be like, yeah, actually, you know what? Thank you so much for asking. I'm I'm not I'm not so good. Cool. You know, is there anything I can help you with? And it helps it be an easier conversation because at that point someone's offering. So you don't have to, it's not like uh that movie in the day hitch where it's not like you have to go 90 and they come 10, right? It's more of like a 50-50 right, exchange. Right. And, and it's like and, <laughs> and there's something powerful about being in a community or being in a group, right? And then the power of sharing stories. Right. When you hear somebody's story, right, and then because they feel safe, right, in the space to be able to share and be vulnerable, right? And it's like, um, you know, you realize that, oh my God, like I am feeling the same way. Like you, you, you learn that you're not alone. Right? You're not alone. I'm not alone with my feelings, right? I'm not abnormal. I'm not, you know, like you, you know, we can resonate with each other. We can relate with each other. And then, you know, then we feel not alone. And that's something that's so big right now. A lot of people feel alone, right? They feel lonely, right? Yeah. But then because, you know, they're, they're looking for belonging and we all feel like, okay, I'm alone in this, right? I'm the only one who feels this way and there's something wrong with me. Right. But then when we're in a community, we're in a collective, we're in a group and we hear people share the same feelings. Right. The, the F word nobody wants to talk about feelings. Right. Yeah. And it's like, you know, and then, and then you're like, oh, my God, I feel the same way. Right. That That's so freaking powerful. Right. And then we recognize, yeah. okay, well, I, I feel safe with you because you're sharing that. I feel the same way. Okay, let's let's talk about it. and And just that, right, the act of being able to process. And that's processing, right? We're processing. Mm. Right, yeah. That's And it's, it's, it's organic, right? Because then you're getting validation yeah, for your right? experience. Yeah. And then somebody else is able uh-huh. to like hold space. And it's like you feel like it's non-judgmental because they're going through the same thing that you're going through. And they're able to speak things out loud without that fear of judgment. And I go back all the time. One of my very first classes in uh, graduate school for marriage and family therapy we had this professor um, who she was, I don't know, I think in her late seventies at the time, she was teaching just for like fun, right? At that point, like she didn't need it. She was just teaching for fun just to kind of like give back. And it was like the first class. And she was like, I want you all to know that everything that you learn in this entire program, none of it is going to be as important as you sitting and listening to somebody. That is it. She's like, if you can sit and listen and hold space and you can maintain unconditional positive regard for your clients, that will be the most therapeutic thing that you can offer anyone for the rest of your career. And I was like, well, then why am I paying 65? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm like, I can already 
very do that. Oh my gosh, um, amazing. But I, I wish my professor said right, that but I, flat out. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I go back to that a lot because, you know, sometimes I'll have a session and I'm like, oh, you know, like I, I really hope I serve that person. I'm like, wait, you know, did I show up in unconditional positive regard? Did I show up and see them and hear them and listen and validate? And did I create that space for them to just be fully expressed to know that whatever it is that's coming up for them is okay? Yes. Okay. I did that. So cool. I got, I got like 80 to 90% of the equation. The rest of it is just kind of yeah, the cherry on top. Yeah. And, and, you know, and that's, that's such a, I want to use the word gift, right. To, to, to give someone, right. It's like that, 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 um, that space wherein they can be seen, heard and validated. Cause like what I said, everybody's so consumed, right. With so many things that it's hard to, to give that to other people. Um, so even therapists, right? That's what we do all the time. And, you know, and, and, uh, we can get burned out. Uh, um, and therefore we do need a space wherein we can talk about our own stuff. Um, cause sometimes, you know, we can find ourselves in space wherein our friends are, are dumping on us too, or even our significant others or, you know, our family members. And we're just like, okay, like, what about me? Right. I'm not your therapist. I'm your friend. Like, you know, like I want, to you know dump on you too like you know like, you know like let's, let's, you know like so it's like yeah it's really important to be able to find um our own therapist our own healing our own safe space to process right so so yeah yeah yeah. And I don't think that that's where like it necessarily, I mean, if you're actively like working as a therapist, I definitely highly recommend that you have a therapist, but to the people who are maybe not in jobs that have a lot of emotional labor, you can just as easily find that space that we're talking about True. with community, right? Like you can find that unconditional positive regard. It's, you know, non-judgmental. You can have, you know, an exchange where you feel validated. Community, I think is something that is very healing and cathartic. And a lot of what people tell me they get out of therapy, I also receive out of community and have seen other people receive out of community. And I kind of want to, you know, dive into Diva Girl a little bit and just talk about some of what you have seen people get when they are apart and when they involve themselves in, you know, in community in general, but then also in your community specifically. Yeah. So, so for us, like, as we're talking about this, I was thinking about like the spaces that we have created, right. And curated for, um, for our members and, and, you know, and when we curate events, right. So when we have, we have our conferences um, and, you know, and we have our workshops, you know, these are spaces where there's a lot of education and empowering stuff that are happening and, you know, and seeing other women, seeing women who are, you know, from the same background as you, you know, seeing women who are similar to what you look like, right. It, it, you, that, those are some of the ingredients, right. To feel safe in a space. Right. So, so like you, you know, that kind of not totally eliminate, but, di but diminishes the feeling of isolation or being alone, right? When you go mm -hmm. walk into a space yep. where you're not sticking out, right? And you feel like, you know, okay, there are other people who, who look like me, who, who talks like me, right? Or, or, um, or has the same background or experiences as me, right? There's some similarities there. So it, it, creates a safe space, a safer space for, for a lot of people. And then we go into our smaller groups. So as a therapist, like, quote unquote, support group kind of space. Okay, a lot of those <laughs> in our Diva Girl community. We're in, you know, we don't just talk about business, 
We just don't talk about strategies and techniques, right? We talk about like, you know, what's going on in your life, the joys, the challenges, right? Something that you look forward to in your life as an entrepreneur or as a woman, right? Or as a, um, as, yeah, as a woman in the workspace, as a mom, right? So we have those spaces, right? Smaller spaces, intimate spaces. Like I, you know, we had like at least over 10 conferences with more than 200 women in under our belt, under my belt, right? But I have help. I have help and I have a great team, right? Like I <laughs> right. Going back into yeah, that, you don't have to do it alone. <laughs> I couldn't, right? And, um, and, you know, and, and we have those spaces, right? But then we also have, and I, and I love those smaller intimate spaces where in the numbers doesn't matter how many people shows up. No. And this spaces are a, a space for us to be able to, you know, really connect deeper, right? Touch on the joys and the challenges, right? And what you're looking forward to and not talk about strategies and techniques, right? Those are cool, but like, like sometimes it's just information overwhelm, right? And sometimes women just need a mm-hmm. space to vent, to talk about what's happening in their lives. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. We have spaces like that too. And those are actually my favorite spaces too. Yeah. And I hear you just being able to speak about the women in your community in a very holistic way, right? Like you're not just showing up as a business owner. You're not just showing up as a mom. You're not just showing up as a, you know, entrepreneur. You're not just, right? Like you are able to be all of those things because I think that that is something that, you know, personally, there is a huge difference there in terms of the way that women dance with identity and identity work. And we carry like many different hats, but it's not like, oh, let me take off this hat and put on this other one. It's not like being a mother turns off when you are in the role of business owner. It's not like, you know, the role of daughter turns off when you're in the role of mother. Like it, there's all of these different things. And regardless of whether you have children or don't have children, right? Like it doesn't mean that we're ever only one thing. And having a space where women can actually show up as their whole self and get support as a whole person, mind, body, spirit, and not just have to compartmentalize or be like, okay, I'm going to get in my brain and I'm going to talk about business strategy. And like, it doesn't matter that I don't feel like I can implement this right now because I got a sick kid at home and I feel burnt out and tired and I can't bring that into this space and be honest about why I'm struggling. Yes, you can. And you have to, because again, we're not just one thing. And I just love hearing how holistic and how safe the space is for people to show up in all of their roles, identities, and responsibilities. Thank you. Thank you for, um, I appreciate you highlighting that part. Um, And it's nice to hear. Thank you. That is the aim. And and, and as women, like uh, we need, we don't always have to be doing, doing, right? Or giving, giving and helping, helping. We, mm-hmm. You know, we can also, you know, um, just sit back and 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 be our authentic self, right? And, and be accepted for who we are. And we need more spaces, right? Take away the, um, the mask, right? It's okay to wear a mask, right? We can wear a mask on like different spaces that we go to, right? To get something accomplished. But then we also need a space where we can just show up vulnerable, right? And be like who we, who, who we are, right? Show up as you are, right? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, mm-hmm. that is very important in our community. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, you know, I think that the other piece that is important to highlight in these spaces is the fact that we we do tend to wear masks, right? And like to your point, we have to do that sometimes because we need to get things done, but also being able to be in a space where we're able to just receive, right? Because a lot of us who especially were showing up as entrepreneurs, business owners, um, caretakers, if you're a service provider, right? Like you are giving, giving, giving. It's output, 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 output. And a lot of people don't know how to be in that energy where in order to complete the circuit, you're actually needing to be in some receptive mode so that then you can receive, you can fill up, and then you actually have the energy to you know keep going and to continue to give. And this is something I feel like being in community, we can help model that for people because that's the only way that community ends up getting balanced is if you're able to take turns giving and receiving so everybody can kind of keep in balance yeah, and flow. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. So, you know, kind of segueing into how people can get involved with you, I would love if you could just highlight really quickly some of the things that Diva Girl has done this past year, because I have been following you for a long time before I actually was able to meet you in person. I've seen some absolutely incredible things. So I'd love to just give everyone a taste of what you've been up to and then what's kind yeah, of coming up. Um, so for the past year, we I'm going to go back so the our last big event was the wellness conference and our wellness conference is every year around the springtime so we're going to be planning that very soon um but uh, and that is a, a space and last year our um our conference revolves around um the vagina right and and, and it's um you know and it is the reproductive system right of women and and it's we talked about perimenopause um uh, menopause um, you know, and, uh, um, and, and a lot of other things, right, that women go through when it comes to their bodies. Um, so, so every year we do have a theme and the year before that it was mental health, right? So, so every year for a wellness conference, we focus on one theme and we bring in, um, speakers and sponsors and vendors that, you know, that, that talks about or experts about this specific topics. For next year, our goal is to be able to have a mommy and me conference. We're in, it's gonna be, yeah. So it's something oh, wow. that was um, brought to our attention. And therefore we're like, okay, we hear you and let's, let's try to make it happen. Right. Um, so, so we'll see how that goes. So that is the goal. We're going to try to um, curate something where in uh, women are going to be comfortable, those who are moms and non-moms, right. And also their, their children. So um, how is that going to happen? Mm. How are we going to plan that? Um, I'm not very sure yet, but it's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> but if anybody can pull it off, it's you and your team, Majette. So I yeah, can't wait to see. <laughs> so, so we have that. So we have our wellness conference. And then we also have our, so we call that the um, wellness and empowerment conference. And we have been doing that for the past 10 years. And we're going into our, or we're going into our 10th year. Um, we also have a She Means Biz conference. And that is more focused on um, the business side. Right, business women, um, and our theme for the winter time. We're gonna host that in the winter, and the winter time, you know, it's during the blue months, right? And that's when we need more community, mm -hmm. we need mm -hmm. more events to pop up so oh, that yeah. we can, uh, especially for those of us who live here in the Northeast, right? Like it gets real cold no, and real you dark. You want to stay in bed because that feels safe and comfortable. So you know, we would cu curate an event wherein you can feel. Um, 
like motivated to get out of bed and meet new people. Um, and and our theme for this year will be um, uh, oh um, diversity and why that is important in your mm-hmm. business. So they will be like a panel portion. And um, and then also we do our divas abroad, right? So our divas abroad last year, we were in India and it's such a beautiful experience. We're in, we bring women from the Northeast, the North America, not just Northeast, in North America. So Canadians and Americans join forces, right? To create a plan. We plan, um, you know, like a, a volunteer, program that we will take to another country um and you know and and work with the women there so for example people are a little bit confused about Mm, what we do mm -hmm. there and what we do is that you know we we connect with an organization like for example india was the last place that we've been to and we will connect with an organization in 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 the country so last year we were in jaipur and we ask them what do you need? Because we're not saviors. We don't know what you need. And we're not going to assume right, yeah. that we know what you need. So you tell us, how can we be there for you? So they, they told us that we need um, pads, sanitary pads. They need underwear. They need, you know, to, they need people to remind them how to feel powerful, right? How to have to have self-confidence, Right, self-esteem because a lot of them, the community that we work with, don't don't know how to read, right? Um, and and are from some abusive relationships, um, and who were um, who were who got married at a very very young age, right? So they they, they this is something that they struggle with emotionally and mentally, and you know, and they would like to mm-hmm. for for us to go there and talk about that as well. So. So we we were able to work together, plan that, go over there and work with them. And we share stories. Again, the beauty of the community, right, of a group. They share stories and we share stories. And then we build this connection, right? And we realize, oh, my God, we may wow. have been from two different parts of the world, but our joys and challenges and worries are very similar. So we build that connection. And then before we left, we asked them, you know, like, how can, you know, how can we help you more? And and they asked that, you know, they asked for um, sewing machines so that they can create, because they're, they're women who, um, who, who make um, dresses and bags and, um, and aprons, right? So that they can sell it and they can have money they can you know yeah. they can provide for their family so so we help them with that we raise funds for it and we help them with that and we buy them um materials so they can create you know clothes things objects right items that they can sell so that they can buy food and you know and, and things so so wow. every country that we go to it's it's different um uh, and so Right, right. Because you're asking yeah. them what they need. So yeah. yeah, so basically, those are the three things that we really um, work really hard that, you know, that we invest a lot of time and our energy in. Um, and then we have our little meetups online and our quarterly brunches. So yeah. Oh, that's so fun. So if someone's listening to this and they want to get involved, what is the best way to start to get involved with the Diva I would community? love for you to experience 
Diva Girl. And, you know, and go to our um, IG account, Diva Girl Community. Um, you can go to our website, divagirltribe.com, um, and uh, reach out to us. DM, email, email me, majet at divagirltribe.com. And, you know, and I would love for you to experience what Diva Girl is all about. And do you have an upcoming Divas Abroad trip yet planned? Where do you know? Yeah, where we're you're planning going to go to the Philippines. So where I'm from. Yeah. Oh wow, that's amazing. Do you have a time period for that yet? Or is that so to be it, announced? We usually go in November before Thanksgiving. And we spend ten days okay. in, in the okay. country. Um, and that includes trips too. So when we volunteer, we work for five days and on the weekend we go to like a um the the famous spot in that country. So in India, we went to Oh, good. So okay, so there's a little bit of like you know vacation tourism, but also like you're working and volunteering. That's beautiful because we all love balance, right? Oh, yeah. We were just talking yeah, about yeah. That. And, and you know, and when we do these trips, like after our work on the day, we get together and we talk about our we process again, right? That's the importance of processing mm-hmm. what happened during that day. And then, you know, and then we also do, we, we, we live in a house where in the, where the locals live and, you know, we eat with them, we, we sing mm-hmm. with them, we dance with them, you know, like those are my favorite, you know, time when, when we get to eat and dance and, and sing with them. Like those are, those are the most Connect, amazing yeah. parts of like traveling and volunteering abroad, really. That sounds like such an incredible experience. And this is where I'm really going to highly, highly recommend if you are listening to this and you just feel your souls like lighting up, your heart's maybe beating a little faster, you feel excited, definitely go and check it out. There's so many different levels, so many different ways to get involved. Um, Obviously, Majet, you just have such a beautiful, welcoming, warm energy. And I have just loved being able to meet you, get to know you, be able to have this conversation with you today. I am incredibly grateful for your time and for your story and for, you know, your leadership in these spaces. Thank you so much. You're very welcome, Amber. Thank you so much for allowing me to be part of your podcast. There you have it. Another episode of the Sacred Leadership Podcast on the books. I hope your time spent here served you and nourished you. Join us every Tuesday for more honest conversations and powerful insights. Remember, exceptional leaders share the wealth. Send this episode to someone who would benefit, leave a review to let others know about the show, and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Talk to you soon.